called in a marketplace of ideas. I thought, what does that mean? And I do agree with Jim. Jim said about prayed, about Alpha not just being an exchange of ideas. And I thought, us being called to a marketplace of ideas is not merely about us adding to the exchange of ideas. Called to the marketplace of ideas is our calling is to witness to the gospel, witness to the good news of Jesus Christ and to proclaim the truth. So we don't just add another idea into the melting pot and let them all mix up and settle together. Our calling is to come in and to speak truth and proclaim the good news to people. And so I thought, okay, if our call to that marketplace of ideas is to witness to the truth of the gospel, then I took the word witness that just happens to have seven letters and I started to think about all those self-help books out there that are seven habits of the most effectively successful, amazingly beautiful, gorgeous people in the world. I thought, well, that's obviously talking about us. Witness, we are going to look at seven habits of the Apostle Paul and how he witnessed. And I've used the word witness as an anachronism. So if you remember anything today, you might just remember one letter, the letter that what I'm going to say related to it speaks to you the most, okay? So I'll give you permission to just remember one letter. Or you can remember all seven, it's up to you. So in the reading that Kate read, we um, see Paul in Athens. And the reason he's in Athens is because he's been preaching around Greece. And every time he preaches with Timothy and Silas, um, all the rabble-rousers start a riot and get them kicked out of the town that they're in. And so eventually... He ends up in Athens on his own, um, while Timothy and Stylus have waited, have stayed in Berea where he was before, and Paul is in Athens simply just waiting for his friends to come and join him. And while he's there, he gets this opportunity to go to Mars Hill and to speak at the Oropagus of the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. That was his marketplace at that time in Athens while he was just waiting for his friends. So we're going to look at the tools that he used in the hope that we will then be equipped to use those tools that are available for us when we are in our marketplace. So W. In Athens, Paul was watchful. He didn't just go down the beach and have a pint and kick back his heels while he was waiting for his mates to turn up. He may have done at some point, but what we read in Acts 17 is that Paul went around looking at all the statues that were in the city. And the Roman author Pliny records that there was 73,000 idols in the city. I think Paul would have had sensory overload at all that idolatry that was going on. 
But he didn't just look and get disgusted and indignant and leave. He allowed what he was seeing to be discerning in his spirit. And the word tells us that the NIV says he felt distressed, but the King James says that he felt stirred up in his spirit. Now, I read that, not that he was just fed up and miffed about it, but actually he was stirred up and he was, as he was looking around, watching how the people live and watching what they do, he was starting to get excited and he was like, bring it on. This is an opportunity for me to speak to these people the truth. Because then, as we read eventually in the passage, he even sees a statue to the unknown God. And straight away, Paul's mind and spirit is on it, thinking, well, they might not know who they're worshipping, but I know who he is. So I want to just encourage you, wherever your marketplace is, to be watchful and discerning and to discern the spiritual temperature that's going on around you. He didn't stop there. He decided that he was going to speak to these people, and in his speaking to them, he was totally and utterly inclusive. That's my eye. He was inclusive. He spoke to the Epicureans, and he spoke to the Stoics. Now, the Epicureans believe that the universe is the result of some big cosmic accident, that gods are simply atomic compounds like all the other objects, and that actually these gods prefer to live in blissful happiness than to interfere with humans or the world in any way. The Epicureans believe that the sole purpose of human existence was pleasure, and that this could only be achieved by avoiding all competition, which often causes jealousy or failure, and is not pleasurable, or any intense emotional commitment that could result in pain and turmoil, also not pleasurable. I'm sure if we think we all know someone like that, in fact, they probably come to your mind right now, that person who always takes the path of least resistance, the one that will do anything for a quiet life, never wants to get involved, always wants to just stay in the background and enjoy whatever it is they enjoy. And on the other extreme, Paul had Stoics in front of him. They believe in materialistic and deterministic beliefs. To them, God was just a force, a principle acting on the material world. Always present in all matter that we can touch. Nothing to them existed outside of their own material world. And everything that happened was just for the fate, um, a, a result of fate for the good of the world. Evil didn't exist to the Stoics because even the natural disasters that we've prayed about today, they saw them as a result of providential fate and also believed that ultimately it would be for the good of the universe in some way. And I think we all know people like that as well. K sera, sera, people, whatever will be, will be. They don't have any sense of purpose or direction or, or feel any motivation to affect change in any way because what's the point? 
what's going to happen is going to happen. So in those two extremes, and probably everybody in between on that um, momentum, Paul was faced with those in his marketplace, as I'm sure we all are. And we might be thinking, well, what's, you know, how can we share the gospel with people like that? How can we share the gospel with people who just want an easy life when we know Christ is going to ask them to deny themselves, take up their cross and follow him? How can we share the gospel with people who um, believe in fatalistic um, happenings in their life when we know that God calls us to be vessels of change and to implement change and God wants to bring transformation through us. Nonetheless, Paul included all of them and was willing to answer all of their questions. So I want to encourage you, don't be exclusive in your marketplace. Be inclusive. Include everyone. Now, the marketplace to Athens was a place where the marginalised and what the Greeks called the low-life rabble-rousers hung out. They were people who very often had no employment and so they would just hang out in the marketplace all day hoping that someone would eventually give them a day's work. And earlier in chapter 17, we actually read that the people Paul was speaking to go to the marketplace and get all these rabble-rousers together and incite them to cause the riot. So I just wanted to drop that in, that wherever you are, there are going to be marginalised people somewhere in your marketplace and I want to encourage you to include them and to just not overlook their presence and not be frightened to share the gospel with people who you may not otherwise associate with. Paul was watchful, he was inclusive, and he was also typical. This was a typical day for Paul. Um, Verse 17 tells us that he went day by day. This was his regular habit. It wasn't a once a year occasion or only when he really had to, when he couldn't wriggle out of it. This was his normal, everyday um, expectation that he would come across people that he would have an opportunity to share the gospel with. And this is how we build up our spiritual muscle by making it a habit. If we're frightened to witness, I want to encourage you, witness more, because you get less and less frightened of it the more you do it. I'm petrified of the gym. I never, ever go to the gym. People tell me if I went, I would love it. I'm not sure about that. But I am telling you, the more you witness, the more you see the point of it, And we sang in one of the songs, the sound of hearts returning to you. That's what witnessing is about. When you get to hear that, a heart returning to the Lord, and you realise that actually God is asking us to witness, not because he's testing us, but because he loves them. And it's an excuse for a party. Who doesn't love an excuse for a party? I love a party. I love music. I love to dance. 
And I feel like that's what heaven is like, just waiting for a heart to turn back to the Lord because the word tells us that every time that happens, the angels in heaven rejoice and they throw a party. And we get to be part of that. That's what witnessing is about. It isn't a test of you, of what you know, and of how good you are. It's God's heart for the person that he's put in front of you to speak to because he loves them and he wants their heart to return to him. Paul was watchful, inclusive, typical, and he was non-judgmental. He preferred to commend rather than condemn. He commended the Athenians for their religiousness and their piety. He didn't condemn them for idolatry. He said, when he got the opportunity to stand up and talk to them, he said, I see that you're all very religious because you've got 73,000 statues to gods in the town. He didn't say you're a bunch of idol worshippers. He didn't condemn them. If we want people to listen to us, we can't condemn them. We have to start where they are. We have to find a point to connect with them on. That's why I felt really deeply in my spirit today that the Lord was not wanting to condemn us. When we speak about witnessing people straight away think, oh, I'm going to get told off because I don't do it enough. That isn't what this is about. This is about looking at how the Apostle Paul does it and saying, oh yeah, I could do that. And taking those tools and equipping ourselves to do what I think actually we all really want to do deep down. We want to share the good news of Jesus because we know it's good news. So he didn't judge, but he was eager. He was eager and ready to answer the questions that were thrown at him and to explain exactly what it was that he believed. I thought about answering questions. I thought, can we really invite people in this season of invitation that we're in at church? Can we invite people to a countercultural accountability? Because that's what I think we're doing. In the world, people are used to pleasing themselves, doing what they think is right, living autonomously. And what we're asking them to do is join this family of God, join a community that actually holds accountability very highly. We are accountable to God. We are accountable to one another. And nobody seems to be asking that. I don't get many non-Christians come up to me and say, can you tell me where I can go to be accountable or who I can be accountable to? So I wondered, can we answer questions that aren't even being asked? But then I thought, well, Paul did. The Athenians were quite happy to worship an unknown God. They didn't seem bothered that they didn't know who he was. But Paul came and answered that question without them asking it. And questions can be really scary because what we think of is, I'm not going to know the answer, I don't know that, I'm not knowledgeable enough, and they can frighten us. But the Lord told his disciples in Luke 21, make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves, for I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist 
or contradict. God has promised he'll tell us what to say and it isn't always the answer to the question that's being asked. Years ago, I used to run an open coffee morning in the church and I saw a big motorbike pull up in the car park one morning and a man got off, took his helmet off and stood in the middle of the car park and looked around and he looked clearly lost. He was a tall, fair-haired, handsome young man and he just kept looking around this little car park. So I went out to him and I said, morning, can I help you? And he couldn't look at me, looked up straight away and he started mumbling and I immediately thought, he's not well, there's something troubling him. So I said to him, what's your name? And he said, My given name is Carl, but my real name is the pale horse rider death of the apocalypse. (laughs) And he couldn't look at me, he was looking like this. My real name is the pale horse rider death of the apocalypse. At which point my heart started pounding, my palms started sweating. I felt the blood draining from me and I said to him, like every good British person would, Do you want to come and have a cup of tea? (laughs) So he came in the church with me and I made him a cup of tea and he sat down and I rang across to the office and got one of the male pastors to come over. And I was just quietly praying while Carl was just pouring out his heart about how God had called him to be the Antichrist and he didn't want the job but someone had to do it and he needed to know what the call involved, what did it mean to be the pale horse rider death of the apocalypse. And the male pastor that I'd asked to come tried to explain revelation to him, but I actually don't think the pastor had a clue what he was talking about and didn't know anything about what this young lad was asking and he was really deeply troubled and serious about what he wanted to know. And at a certain point, I thought, I've got to stop this. So I said to him, Carl, I said, can I tell you what I know? So he looked at me all hopeful and he said, yeah. And I said to him, I don't know anything about the pale horse rider death of the apocalypse, but I do know that you are not him. I do know that God has a plan and a purpose for your life that is for your good and not for your harm. I do know that he loves you and he wants to be in right relationship with you. And I just began to speak to him about what I do know, what, not what I don't know about. Who would do that? Who would talk about what they don't know? Nobody wants to do that. But I thought, I do know the truth, and I do know the gospel, and I just began to share that with him, and I watched his demeanor change, and this heaviness lifted off him, and he began to just kind of sink a little bit, his shoulders went down, he relaxed, his face relaxed, he stopped babbling, and he began to just listen. And at a certain point, I said to him, can I pray with you? And we prayed. And it was a really powerful encounter that he had with the Lord and he went off peaceful. A few weeks later, he came back just to tell me that he was well. 
and he'd obviously been off his meds then, but after I'd prayed with him, he could think clearly and he was able to go back to his doctor and he got back on some medication and he, he came well and said to me, I just wanted to say, I have never heard anything so powerful in all my life as those things you were telling me. The gospel, the good news, and how simple is it? We know that Jesus came as a man. We know that he was crucified and that he rose again. And we know that his desire is for all of us to know him and receive eternal life. That's what we, we are able to share with people. And that's all that Paul did share with people when he stood up and spoke to the Athenians. He was watchful, inclusive, typical, non-judgmental and eager. And he was also sensitive to their cultural um, environment. He started where they were at with that statue to the unknown God. He didn't crack open his Torah and unravel all his scrolls and start reading um, deep Jewish tradition to them. He started where they were at. And sometimes I think we get frightened of doing that. We feel like there's this sacred, secular divide. But actually, all truth belongs to God. I wonder if God has ever spoken to you through a song in the charts on the radio or a film that you've watched or a book you've been reading. I know that he has me. And I think if God can speak through a donkey to Balaam, then God can speak through a pop song or a film or a statue to an idol or something that someone else is connecting with, God can use that to speak to them. So be sensitive to the culture of your marketplace. Be sensitive to the culture of the people that you are witnessing to. Be creative and remember that all truth belongs to God. And lastly, Paul was steadfast. He was bold in proclaiming the gospel. He was willing to risk his reputation because we hear that they sneered at him. They said, what, what's this fool babbling about? But he wasn't witnessing to make himself look big or clever. He was witnessing for their benefit so that they could meet the God that he had encountered. He was willing to risk his reputation and his freedom he was always being thrown in prison, but it didn't matter. He was steadfast and resolute in his eagerness to proclaim the good news. And so, really, I want to just encourage you that wherever you are, whatever your marketplace is, God is already at work there, even though you might not know it. We learn a lot at college about Missio Dei, the mission of God, if we want people to come to faith, how much more does God want them to know him? And so he's already about the business of gently revealing himself to them. He would have already been at work in people's lives. And Paul starts there, where they are, what do they know? And then he talks about um, the two areas where God has clearly revealed himself already through creation 
and through the, our human consciousness. Everyone in, who connects with creation and nature knows that there's something beyond themselves, something, someone bigger than them involved in the order of creation. And everyone has an inner consciousness. And Paul talks about it and says, God is going to call you to repentance for the things that you've done wrong. And you can do that because Christ died and rose again. And so he just simply shares the gospel, but he starts where they're at and he moves them to a place where they can see, oh yeah, that is God. I was at college and lived with four other people. One of the girls hated me. She really detested me. And one night we were all sitting in the lounge and debating something. And she was so angry with me. She flung a plant pot across the room, just whistling past me ear. And it smashed up the wall. And she screamed at me, we've all been talking about you. And we're all sick to death of this I love the Lord business. And she stormed out the room and slammed the door. I went into my room and I wept all night. I wept and wept and wept. And I planned and plotted all night to lock everybody in a lecture room the next day and say, you're not leaving till you tell me to my face what you've been saying behind my back. But before it was time to get up, before the crack of dawn, there was a knock on my bedroom door. I hadn't slept all night. I'd been plotting. <laughs> And I opened the door, and it was Marie, this girl, weeping outside my door. And she said, I'm lost, and I need God, and I know that you can show me where he is. And she came in and sat on my bed, and I was able to pray and lead her to the Lord. And she never, ever liked me, not from that day to this. So I got her involved in another church, and she met the worship leader and fell in love with him they got married a year later <laughs> they've got two kids they live in Swansea happily ever after really involved with their church but we're still not friends and that's okay we don't witness to make people like us we witness because we have good news and we want to share that with other people Watchful, inclusive, typical, non-judgmental, eager, sensitive and steadfast. Whichever one of those the Lord has been speaking to you about this morning, take it away, pray into it and ask him for the opportunity and the open eyes to see that opportunity in your marketplace over the coming days.